This episode of Recovery is Possible is brought to you by Retreat Behavioral Health, where there are endless possibilities for recovery. Retreat provides quality care at their leading mental health and substance use treatment centers, which are designed to offer patients truly personalized and comprehensive programs that are tailored to their needs. Retreat Substance Use and Mental Health Treatment Centers in Palm Beach County, Florida, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and New Haven, Connecticut do everything in their power to ensure that patients receive the highest quality treatment in a safe and comfortable setting. Reach out today at RetreatBehavioralHealth.com or call at 855-802-6600 for more information. And so folks, today I want to bring to you a guest that I actually brought on to my show at WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia, and her name is Aparna Sane, and we talked about mindfulness in recovery, and she is the fantastic host of a show that's also on WERA, and it's called Mindful Nation, and you know, what a fantastic interview, and we talked about uh, mindfulness, meditation, and other techniques that you can use in recovery, and so with that, I want to just play for you the show that we did together, right? So here we go. I am excited today because we are in Arlington, and I have never done this is a live broadcast. For some reason, I haven't. For several years, it's been something that I've recorded and uh, sent into the station, and it was played. But I am here with Aparna Sane, and we're going to be talking about spirituality and recovery. And I wanted to talk to her about that because for those of you that have been listening to Recovery as Possible for some time now, you know that... Uh, we talk about recovery as being something that you you get stopped and the the challenge is to stay stopped because a lot of people that come into recovery and if you try to get in recovery you know that you can stop drugging or drinking for a period of time but the big question is how do you stay stopped and when uh, a partner and I were just talking about in the last show that we did that step one powerlessness un- unmanageability right and how uh, it, it, it causes and conditions. And if you have an addiction, there's a genetic predisposition. There's there's those, those issues going on. And we'll do other uh, episodes talking about that in detail. But addiction progresses over a period of time. It gets worse over a period of time. Never better. There are no exceptions. And you will not be the first exception to that. So the question is, how do we stay sober? And that and to a large degree is learning to live life on life's terms because if we relapse it's because something went awry in our life we're upset at someone it's usually uh, a disaster we've lost a job we lost a loved one we've uh, become frustrated and we say you know what it's time to check out i don't want to be present and so i'm going to drink or drug again and that's what we want to avoid because it just doesn't end well so how do we do that well a big part of that is very much developing your spiritual program you have to develop a spiritual life now notice i didn't say religious life i said a spiritual life and that's what we're going to talk about here today and my good friend aparna sane is that's what she does and so if you could tell the audience a bit about yourself and you know i'd be interested to hear how you even got into this because i have my story and how i got into this but i want to hear from you Thank you. And Mike, thanks for having me, making this so much fun to be here live today from Arlington. And I'm happy to share my journey and all that, you know, you do so much good work around this recovery process. And I love how you say, you know, once you've done the 12 step, the last step is around a spiritual awakening, because that is what I 
love to talk about and was pivotal in my life. So I started uh, on the spiritual path as a child. I grew up in India and my my grandmother used to go through a whole spiritual fire ceremony. So it's, I mean, we're a spiritual Hindu by base, but we, by religion, but she had a, a process which takes away from, strips down the religious aspects and more looks at being gratitude, grateful to our uh, elements. So the fire is one of the elements. So in the morning, we do, in the yogic practices, we do start out with something like sun salutations, right? So we're just bowing to the sun and being in gratitude. Similarly, we did a fire ceremony where we're grateful and we're just kind of burning away all of our demons and being staying in a state of gratitude. And so that started for me at a pretty young age. And then when we moved to the U.S., uh, I was about 10 years old and I started studying and doing all these other things. So I only did a spiritual practice more from a prayer and religious standpoint. And then it wasn't until... So I've always had some interest and always had my own spiritual uh, practices around doing mantra-based meditation. I did a lot of meditation since a pretty young age, right? And I've done a lot of yoga because I lived in California. Yoga is really popular. I always wanted to really figure out the spiritual element of yoga because I'm used to that western element of doing yoga, bending our bodies but yoga goes way beyond bending our bodies, it's actually bending our mind and really helping us to evolve as a human being and really be awakened Mm. and realize ourselves so what we call self-realization so for me that journey of self-realization was not something I actually wanted to actively take on but when I used to work in the venture capital industry in Silicon Valley so I spent about five years in um, venture capital private equity I thought I had just arrived where I was running Gartner's business on Gartner Invest around venture capital private equity going to all these kind of parties startup parties and things like that and I thought I had just arrived this was going to be my life and then the final financial market crashed in 2010. So when that market crashed, it took a piece of me with it because my business went from like 2.5 million to zero pretty quickly, you know, because all the VCs stopped investing uh, or buying our products and services. So all of a sudden, all these people who were buying our services stopped. And so the revenue stopped coming in. And I was pretty scared because I thought, this is what I've always wanted to do. And I'm not really a VC, but I was serving the VC community. So it was just a very nice place to be but it was something that I also didn't have any idea what I wanted to do next I felt like something was really missing for my life and at that point was the same time when I met my spiritual teacher who was based in India but he happened to be at a work conference so I met him at a conference uh, an entrepreneurship conference in Silicon Valley and I was just blown away by him and I said you know I'm going to come to your spiritual center and spend some time there and at that time when I said it things were weren't crashing they were doing really well and I didn't six months went by I didn't do anything about it when the market crashed and my business started crashing and I got laid off I thought okay I have some time on my hands and so I decided to go to a totally different path I went back to India and started living in this spiritual home which we call an ashram just Mm -hmm. basically full of people who are on the spiritual path some of them have committed their life to it so they live like monks uh, we call them brahmacharis, and it's it's a path of spiritual living. They don't, they're not trying to make money. They're not doing other things. They're just committed to this path, path of God. 
So I lived there and it was one of the most peaceful experiences of my life. It's one of the best experiences of my life because while I was there, I learned all elements of yoga. We have a huge practice there where you wake up, everybody wakes up at 4.30, 5 o'clock. We begin our meditation, yoga, prayer, worship, every, anything and everything around really helping us awaken to our own spiritual spirituality. And then the rest of the day you spend in service. So you go out into the community and you're either educating people, which is what I was doing, was working with kids and helping them understand what other parts of the world look like. Whatever you can do. Some people come in. A lot of people come from all over the world and they go into uh, horticulture looking at like farming and things, learning from the farmers in India and how to preserve the land and space and it kind of a, make it a spiritual place. So I um, spent a lot of time there and I just absolutely love the path so I fell in love with the path I didn't want to come back to work for mm. a long period of time and then once I did come back I kept wanting to go back because I actually also was blessed at that time I found an opportunity to be the fellow for presidential Obama on global entrepreneurship and innovation so for a year I get to serve um, as a US diplomat and travel to different parts of the world so I went to like Vietnam Malaysia Singapore all over the place talking about entrepreneurship how do these economic challenged communities use entrepreneurship as a tool to get their youth excited about starting businesses so you know I would meet people who would read um, Jeff Bezos book and start to build their own Amazon I met a, a guy like that in Vietnam now he's doing really well he's actually built his own version of Amazon or, or selling books locally and so forth so I so I got a chance to to do that but I was always going back to India to continue my spiritual journey I never realized I would become a teacher mm. until um, a few about three years into that path and then I became a teacher of yoga and meditation and what's interesting about that is that I never thought I was really a teacher until when I was working at the State Department people knew I was always traveling to India and I was doing a lot of personal meditation at that point I had a three hour morning practice so people would come into my office close the door and say hey can you teach me a little bit about meditation like I've always wanted to try it but I don't know if I'm doing it right or what's the best way to do this and I was surprised people were asking me because I always felt like I was a student myself so I was like, yeah, sure, you know, I can share a little bit about that. And then I committed to going back to India to um, Rishikesh, which is the birth, which we call the birthplace of yoga. And also, I am originally from that near that area. So we went back, I went back and started studying deeply in terms of recognizing what are some of these practices that help us awaken to our inner energies, inner self, things like Kriya, Kundalini yoga, which I know is a, is, a, is a big word here, but Kundalini meaning awakening our inner energy so that that serpent-like energy rises from the base of the spine all the way up to the crown and awakens these energy centers called chakras within ourselves. And that uh, was very powerful. And that's where I had the biggest shift because once we start awakening each one of our chakras, the seven main ones, our energy shifts and the way we look at life starts changing bit by bit by bit and I feel that that is probably the fastest way to a spiritual awakening is when we start working with our own inner energy ah that's the key isn't it by the way I did not know all this about you that is I find that so fascinating because 
in recovery, that's what step 12, having had a spiritual awakening, we carry the message to those that continue to suffer. Right. Because and you talked about service. Right. You know, so you would get up in India and you would start at 430 in the morning and you're getting prepped for the day. Yes. And then at a certain point you go out and you do service. And that's a lot of what recovery is about. Um, in, in AA circles, and I'm not, I'm not promoting or I'm just, I'm just saying that it's, it's interesting that one of the, the taglines in AA is unity service recovery, unity service recovery. And it's all tied together. So it's like this triangle of, you know, this triad of things that, that we do because when, when, you are truly working a program of recovery, which is a spiritual journey. The 12 steps is actually sort of like a, um, um, a, an outline, if you will, on how to develop yourself spiritually. Okay, but at the end of it, it is about you getting up, focusing on that, that power. We talk about a power greater than yourself. Absolutely. You know, power. So people get really hung get hung up on the term God because in in the twelve steps and the literature they talk about God. But I always, you know, I'll I'll just, I'll just say this real quick, and I and I I address this with with people um, when they say, "Oh, you're trying to tell me that I have to believe in God," and we're not okay. And maybe you can relate to this, and I'll get you to elaborate on this. What I tell people is this: they come in. We're not telling you to believe in anything. And God, there was a point in this country. There was a time. See, the twelve steps were written in the 1930s, right? And that was a time in this this country in the U.S. where people realized that you could use different words, had different meanings, and they had more than just one literal term. You know, it seems like in the last couple of years, in particular. People get really hung up on labels and terms. But there was a time when we understood that that a word could mean different things. Now, now highlight is an example. So if a tornado came through here today, my house got blown down, and I called my insurance company, and I said, hey, my house got blown down. And they say, well, who blew your house down? I would say, no one. A tornado came through. And they would list that, and the insurance is what? An act of God. Would they not? Yeah, My insurance company occurs. is not saying to me that I need to believe in God. They're, what, they're, what they're saying essentially is we recognize by saying an act of God a power that was outside of all of our control. And we have we couldn't control it, came in and blew your house down. So what, when, so in recovery, when we say that we have what, what, with the term God, you could say good orderly direction. Um, but we, what we say is there's a power. Whatever you determine that that's going to be, that, that this power is that, and, and so when I tell patients that, you know, I'm not going to tell you to believe in the God that I believe in because I'm a religious person. But what I'm going to, what I do say to patients is you have no problem believing in a God. And the reason, and I'll demonstrate that by asking you to the patient, whether it's drugs or alcohol or both, polysubstance, um, did alcohol tell you where to go? when to go, who to go with, if you were going to go, what time were you going to go, whether you were going to go or not, did it not tell you, to, did it not tell you when when to do, and of course the answer to that is yes. Then I say, then you have no problem. That's kind of like a God to you. So really it comes down to, not are we going to follow something, but what are we going to follow? And I think that, the, and, and then how do we do that? We tap into ourselves because we, if we want to change this outlook, it needs to be inner and then works outwardly. Would you agree with because, that? Absolutely, because yeah. the greatest power we have is ourselves, right? And it's inside of ourselves. 
So all these artificial substances, whether it's alcohol, caffeine, even to a large extent, or food and other things, they tend to kind of keep us from connecting with that great power that we have, the inner wisdom. And so that's why they become things that we feel like are uh, uh, taking over our lives, right? So that's why part of that is that we feel uh, it like becomes you don't your have God. Control. It becomes your God or a God. And it I, I'm a so God. scared yeah. to use the word God. Actually, in yeah. the first time I ever presented a workshop on mindfulness at Accenture, they were like, "Please don't mention the word God. Don't mention the word Kundalini. Don't mention any of these things because they have a lot of Christian communities that come in there, and people think yoga is about God. Yoga is about connecting. Yoga means union. So it's a connection between you and you connecting all kinds of polarities between you mm. so we call it the Ida and the pingala or the yin and the yang right bringing those two things together the masculine and the feminine within the individual so it helps us align in a more holistic whole way within ourselves and so that's why we this this process or this path of spirituality and i i've less and less again identify myself as some religious person although i do believe that there is a power outside of myself that is greater than myself i just want to empower myself to tap into that power mm-hmm. right by doing some of these practices by doing practices like meditation you know you get to connect with that inner wisdom which a lot of times we say we we talk in yoga a lot about the third eye right that is an eye that is not an external facing eye that is an eye that looks inward and so that eye or what we refer to as an eye but it's really the inner wisdom so its ability to see the inner wisdom and be guided through that inner wisdom and that's all we want to preach through this practice right is being able to connect with ourselves mm-hmm. and that higher power within that resides within ourselves and so i don't i especially avoid the word god mm-hmm. because i don't want people to say oh my god you're going to just kind of brainwash me or that airy fairy which a lot of people do say oh i don't believe in that woo woo stuff but one thing i want to uh, mm-hmm. point out also um in this journey in this path of living a life of service is that when you are a spiritual or somebody on a spiritual path much like myself when people used to throw the word service out there i used to really kind of almost resent that i was like you know service is when you are or resent the fact that i get paid for my service because i always thought service is something when you know and when i'm living in the ashram i'm doing giving a service to these these people that i may be teaching but they're not paying me i'm just putting in myself out there but so in this path i thought you know service is about just when i'm not getting paid for something and so i never realized and this is what i i offer the why i offer this to the work community now is i never viewed my work as service you know but it is it is yeah. absolutely yeah. and you know and it's a very very big piece of how we get fulfillment out of our work how we get passion out of our work is when we start shifting the gears and viewing it as a service that we are providing from a deepest part of ourselves this radio show and channel i mean we're not being paid for it but we're doing it out of the, uh, as a service to what we feel is just as important as part of my awakening as an individual sure. as it is to offer it to somebody else that it may help mhm so and you never know who you're reaching 
Yes, and you've reached so many people. And yeah. I, I'm always surprised at people that mention that, hey, I would never take the time to close my eyes and connect with my body if I wasn't listening to your show. And for each one of us that's out there and listening, see, you and I don't know who we're reaching right now. And I've had people, and maybe you've had people, I've had people that have gotten into recovery years later and then found me through Messenger or t- somehow they found a way to get hold of me. And they will say, you've never, I've never met you. You you have no idea who I am. But I've been listening to your message now for years. And it was a big part of my recovery. You know, I'm, I've been four years sober, whatever whatever the case may be. And um, just wanted to let you know. And and for those, for, for those that are listening right now, a, a lot understand that each one of us has a story each one of us has a way that we can inspire other people most of the people that you will inspire you will never meet you will never meet interesting um, you will never meet them but you are helping those and and if you are someone that has been touched by someone else if you can whether you drop them a note or whether you um you reach out to them via text, to email. However, I think it's always a good idea to do that because for those that work daily, that devote themselves to this type of work, you have your ups and downs. You have those days where you're like, why am I doing this? Nobody cares. Am Nobody really listens. Am I really reaching the people? Am I really I reaching? And, and I'll tell you, I know for me, and I'm sure this is true of you, anytime I hear from someone and says, hey, listen, you, you put this message out and it touched me in a certain way, it reinvigorates me because we are human. Yes. We are human. And I need to know all, and I think that's, that's in the spiritual journey. We all have to be validated that our purpose here on planet Earth is for a purpose, for a greater purpose, for a greater purpose. And that you know, purpose we have to be is motivated. through service. Through service, yeah. Yes, and so, and that's why, and I think that the big thing I want to emphasize is the value of service. Just because in my personal journey, when I started working on my spiritual awakening, I had some really. Um, incredible states that felt like you know a state of in euphoria or enlightenment or however i want to look at it and i thought i can just stay here and do this right i don't need to go back and reintegrate into this world i can just sit in the himalayas meditate and feel good <laughs> it's like it's very addictive feeling mm-hmm. but then you know after a while you start learning oh you got to go out back out there and serve Mm-hmm. And so now I had to return to this community where I was, you know, working in different jobs. I used to work in sales, business development, all kinds of business oriented jobs. And now I had to come back and say, well, here I am and I want to serve in a very different way. It was a very, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. The reintegration into the community. And I'm sure this happens in recovery too. Oh, yes. Because much like what you're, you're talking about being in the Himalayas, but our version of that is um, you're in a treatment center for 28 days, 60 days, 90, whatever, whatever is different ways that you can do that. Very easy to stay sober in a treatment facility because there's no alcohol Absolutely. and it's very programmed and it's all recovery all the time. The problem is when you got to go back out there, go exactly. back to your home, go back to your job, go back to the, that that element, those elements that you were in that you were using in, you were drinking or drugging in. That's the hard part. And so what we do in a treatment center is really just get you sort of learning that new lifestyle. Because we say this in recovery. We say that one of our taglines is, we don't expect you to change much. We just expect you to change everything. Everything about your life. Everything about your schedule. I, my sponsor early on, he would say, hey, how do you get to work every day? Tell me the roads. What road? Show me on a map. How do you get to work? And I would show him. And they would say, okay. So here's how I want you to go to work. He, when we say change everything, he and this was the changing the neuropathways. He, I want you to take a different route to work. 
How do you get home? Same thing. I want you to take a different route. Because what he was saying is, I want to change your thinking. Because we have been conditioned to think a certain way. And what he was saying was, but your way of thinking, your best thinking on your best day got you here. So we need to reorient your thinking. And I think that's a lot of what you're talking about. Yes, absolutely. Reorientation of how we approach life. Life. And also the meditation is a really, really powerful Mm -hmm. tool towards that end, right? So once you start quieting the mind, which I don't want people to think that to meditate means you have to wait till your mind is totally quiet. No, but over time it starts to settle, right? So as the as it starts to settle in, you have less of those uh, upheavals where you're like triggered by external situations because mm-hmm. you find that kind of balance and serenity. And those triggers are what prompts us to relapse you know and earlier now your brain and your body does change because we do just take alcohol for example alcohol does a lot of damage to your body a lot of damage to your body and your brain and it reduces uh, serotonin levels GABA levels the b series of vitamins are not even absorbed in your body that all has to come back that's their nutrition exercise that takes time takes about a year to a year and a half to to reset itself but once all that happens, then it's the triggers. And, and, and triggers can be things like, you know, maybe uh, for me, like playing the guitar. I had picked up the guitar, but I always drink when I play the guitar. So I, if I played the guitar in early recovery, I would associate that with drinking. So that would be a trigger. So we're going to put that aside for a while. Maybe it's going into a store. Maybe it's going to a club. Maybe it's talking to a certain person. Or and meeting we have to up with a friend at, for a drink, yeah. right? At yeah. a bar we're not going to do that in early recovery because that's yeah. a trigger. Can yeah, be. absolutely. Can be. And so I don't know how people are because I, I don't drink, but I know when I sit in a bar and I tell people I'm not going to, but I'm going to have a club soda. The, even the bartender looks at me like, really? You're here at happy hour and you're going to mm-hmm. have a club soda? And so I... I do it by choice, and I, I, I've reached a point where I don't care how people, you know, view mm-hmm. that. But if I were recovering from uh, an addiction to alcohol, it would be very challenging for me every time I'd feel like mm-hmm. somebody's judging me. Well, here's a dirty little secret, and, and I, nobody believes this. Most people in America don't drink at all. And you don't really? notice, yeah. See, see, most yes. people don't know that. No, but I've experimented with this, and I've read that, and I've read that. You know, I've gone through all the the journals. You know, looking at that, about sixty percent of the people in the United States actually do not drink at all, and they're not in recovery; they just don't drink. And wow! Now that's you don't a nice, notice that big because number. we tend to we we tend to hang out with people that if I'm a drinker, I hang out with other people, and like in your life, you're you're socializing with people that drink, so we think everybody drinks. But the next time you're at a wedding, the next time you're at a big event the next time you go look around the room most people don't drink they don't you just think they do because the people you're associating with uh and particularly if you're an alcoholic in recovery you you notice that look look at all the people at the bar well actually if you look closely and pay attention it's usually the same people at the bar um, interesting 80 percent of all advertising dollars we're just talking alcohol here 80 percent of all advertising dollars go to 20 percent of the population so when you look at like a football game, a sports game, you know, any event, and you see all these ads, it gives you the impression, the illusion that everybody's drinking. No, it's actually a small number of people, wow. but they put a ton of money into it. Mm. Most people don't drink. And you you learn that over a period of time. And and then after a while, you, you stop caring. Why? It, my, my sponsor right. said to me one time, he said to me one time, listen to this closely. He says, Mike, what other people think of you is none of your business. What other people think of you is none of your business. 
And you that's know. a very important piece, also mm-hmm. part of the uh, self-realization. Yeah, right. It's letting go of that, holding on to what other people are thinking. Thinking of you, of you right? Versus, um, and just being comfortable with who you are. I mean, that's it's right. taken me a long time to get to that. And that's point a lot of what you do. And is becoming comfortable with yeah, you. Yeah, and it's, and it's a journey, not not necessarily a destination. Right. Because e- even. I can see when people are judging me for something and I and so and I feel you know it does make me feel a little awkward sometimes but then I try and move past it yeah so one of the things about being having a certain level of awakening is you can see what somebody else is thinking or you feel like you can think see what somebody else is thinking about you and then sometimes it makes you feel less than or just you know mm-hmm. you feel judged a little bit so but I we get say, past that yes. so a part of saying i i've really i think we we could go on for hours because there's so much to talk about and that's exciting but how can people get hold of you if, if yeah, they want to reach you out that. to you? So yeah. you can find me on my website. Uh, it's just www.aparnasain.com. Huh. So A-P-A-R-N-A-S-A-I-N.com. And I love talking about all things spirituality, but I also have a show here called Mindful Nation Radio where we allow people the 30 mm-hmm. minutes to just focus on meditation and focus on themselves, mm-hmm. your own journey, abandoning all these words, thoughts, judgments, anything, and just connecting with ourselves. That's fantastic. And uh, and my show, Recovery is Possible, which you can hear uh, here at WERA 96.7 in Arlington, Virginia, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, actually right after your show, as a matter of fact. So if you're going to listen to mine, listen to hers too, because you want to hear both of these programs. And folks, really have enjoyed having you here today. And go out and... Um, spread this message of recovery because here's the thing your life will get better because it can't not get better by being in, in recovery and it really is just a great way to live your life so again this is Mike Van Meter from Recovery is Possible and we will see you all next week thank you so much for having me Mike so that is my interview that I did on WERA 96.7 in Arlington Virginia with a part of saying and we're talking about mindfulness uh, meditation as it relates to recovery I know you got a lot out of that and there's a lot of nuggets in there and a lot of good tools for recovery so as always you reach out to us you can uh, check us out on my website which is van meter wellness solutions.com or you, know, you can check out the Recovery is Possible Facebook site, and we're also on Twitter as well. So check us out, reach out to me, let me know how we're doing. And once again, this episode of Recovery is Possible is brought to you by Retreat Behavioral Health, where there are endless possibilities for recovery. Retreat provides quality care at their leading mental health and substance use treatment centers, which are designed to offer patients truly personalized and comprehensive programs that are tailored to their needs. Retreat substance use and mental health treatment centers in Palm Beach County, Florida, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and New Haven, Connecticut do everything in their power to ensure that patients receive the highest quality treatment in a safe and comfortable setting. So reach out today at RetreatBehavioralHealth.com or call at 855 855- 802-6600 for more information. And with that, guys, this is Mike Van Meter, Recovery is Possible. I'll talk with you soon. Hey, you can do it. Recovery is possible. Talk to you later. Bye.